Welcome to The Form Guide, inspiring conversations about mental health and well-being. This week, we're chatting to Mark Malcolmson, CBE, CEO of the City Lit. Thanks for tuning in. So, Mark Malcolmson, good morning to you, sir. Morning, Rob. How are you? I'm, I'm doing great. Are you ready for love? That is the question. Oh, I love Alton. He's just magic. Thank you for choosing that one. Well, well that was chosen especially for you. I, I'm certainly ready for love. I know you're ready for love. Um, have you met Elton? I, you, you must have met Elton. No, the nearest I get is I've met Lulu, who's like Elton, but one, one removed. So Lulu's a fellow of our college. And um, one day we just hope that she just appears with him as a date because he <laughs> is one of the great icons in on so many levels. <laughs> he, he absolutely is. Um, and um, I, I, I would have thought you would have met him. So because yeah, you met everyone. Right. And I thought you'd have met him. Um, and so that we probably need to rectify that at some point in, in our lives. You know, Elton. So are you ready for love by Elton John? It's a classic. Um, I was telling you about before we started about my uh, cryotherapy that I've been um, doing for my long COVID. And it's like sort of five minutes in minus 85 degrees, but you get to pick the music. So um, you, you pick a track to listen to. And, and my first one, I was a bit bit nervous about it because, you know, I've never been in 85 degrees, minus 85 degrees before. And I chose Elton Ready for Love. And it was quite a, a good experience, actually. So, you know, that inspired me to, to remember that track to share it with you. The lovely thing about watching Rocket Man, which I must have watched about 10 times now, is that you just forget how many bloody brilliant songs he had over the years. And they kind of all the different moods. I, I think he gets a bit short shrift compared to Bowie reinvented himself. Well, Elton reinvented himself massively over the years. Yeah. Apart from that slightly dodgy disco phase, which was um, we can brush over slightly. But um, <laughs> otherwise, just genius. Absolute genius. I agree with you. So you are Mark Malcolmson. You are the CEO of the City Lit. You are a fantastic campaigner for positive mental health in and out of the workplace. And you do so much more stuff that I'm so keen to uh, to find out more about it and have a chat with you. So thank you for joining us on the form guide. Um, welcome to Luke, Nicole, Sarah and Harar all on the uh, chat on the live. So before we get into this, Mark, um, you know, I can see that you, you're looking very sort of academic there. Obviously, you lead an academic institution you've got some books behind you but I'd like to play a little game off the cuff if you don't mind so what I'd like you to do is sort of turn around close your eyes and pick out a book at random and let's see what's on your shelf let's see what's on the shelf see what's on the shelf here we go what have we got oh my god this sounds so dull but it's actually quite good personality character and leadership in the White House psychologists assess presidents Brilliant. Oh, that looks that makes me sound such a dull man, doesn't it? I mean, it's <laughs> kind of like but all of this bit. So, as well as being principal at the college, I teach politics and history, American politics and history. That's my great fascination in life. I love the leadership aspects, I love the character aspects, um, and also actually increasingly the structure, the constitution, all of that type of stuff. So, this is my American politics bit. Then that's all my history and then world history. And then over there, the complete chaos down that end is all my nonfiction and all my novels and all of that type of stuff. And then there's boxes of books in the garage. I, 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 for a dyslexic, I must have the biggest book collection in the history of mankind. Um, it just is, it's a kind of obsession. That and in the other room, um, my great hobby is cookbooks. Okay. So I've got every time, travel a lot over the years with work and everything and I got in about 10 years ago decided oh, well, I like cooking instead of buying knickknacks or bits of sort of bottles of wine or whatever I'd start buying a cookbook from every journey and now I've got stacks of them all in the kitchen and then occasionally I'll say right okay this Saturday I'm going to do Ghanaian cooking or, or, or whatever on my, well, during lockdown I kind of started to go there was a load that I hadn't used so I thought this will cheer me up a bit. So I'd get, I was, I was born out in Nigeria and I actually went through a whole week of um, cooking. There's a book called Hibiscus, which right. is a Nigerian cookbook, which is superb. And um, anyway, I, I subjected my family to a couple of misses to start off with. But by, by the end of the week, I was really nailing um, some very, very good dishes. Um, but there were a couple of dodgy kind of wobbles in the middle of the week. 
Fantastic. Well, I, I'm going to invite myself over to your house to try that. Um, and uh, now we're, we're allowed to get together. So it sounds good. I'm a big fan of Eritrean food, actually, you know, the flatbread and you know, all the bits and you scoop it all up. It's a great way of eating, right? Funny enough, actually, on Saturday, I made um, an Ethiopian vegetarian dish. That, we're going down a rat hole that's really weird but i was so impressed because we had vegetarian friends coming over and i was having a bit of a panic because there's the amount of red sauce pasta that you can actually make for people without being rude um so i decided to go a bit um kind of esoteric and it was it was a smash actually amazing. i'm really quite quite impressed amazing sounds good so the the politics book um which sounds very interesting the you know psych the psychology of leadership in uh, american politics is there is there a chapter on donald trump is it that current no it, it kind of stops before that but then again would you have started that one i want you to open that that is a veritable pandora's box <laughs> i mean the obvious one around that area apart from everybody's cod psychology is actually his um his niece's book because she's a trained psychologist and that was the one um that came out uh, never enough and not too much or something it was it was a great title and she, that came out before the election and she from observing him within the family environment actually tried to be dispassionate i think tried i mean how can you be dispassionate when you're that close to him and and the, the whole family dynamic but i think um he is a treasure trove on, on so many different levels of, of psychologists. And I think that will be when this, this kind of episode ends, um, American historians will be looking back to him. Around a lot of personality issues, character disorders, whatever you want to call them, um, there was a lot, there's a lot going on in that man's head. And um, as a result, the world has played out his kind of psychodrama for those four years and continues to do so, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah I think you're right. And so I'm going to put you on the spot. What was your, uh, give us a takeaway from the book. Give us a, a memory, something memorable, something that we can uh, share with our audience. I think it's, uh, the, the, my takeaway around this is, is, and it's not one particular issue, it's that you are put under that amount of pressure, particularly, I'd say, post-war presidents, where you have the responsibility for the world and not just America. You're not just dealing with, you know, farmers in Iowa or whatever, like you might have done in the 1800s. Um, suddenly the pressure and, and the, the resilience of, and of course it's men, and that's dreadful in so many ways that America has never managed to get itself together and actually having a woman president. And but the men, particularly those post-war period, people like Harry Truman, how they dealt with the pressure of crisis on their table every day, whether it be Korea, whether it be the Berlin airlift, you just think the resilience, we, we, we champion resilience, you and I, that's, that's the thing. But you also just think, God, you know, they did, did, if, if Harry Truman was sitting here in, say, 1949 and uh, things were going horrible, he'd, he'd probably be a minus 15, I should imagine, trying <laughs> yeah. to get through what he's going to do. So I think that's, that's the takeaway, is, is you can't just quit. And, and the resilience there, they, they all have their ups and downs, but they had to really just get on with it. Um, and, you know, I, I give all of them, even if I don't like their politics, the credit of actually surviving that job. Um, yeah. and, and I think some of them did it well. Um, and then I think, as I said, Donald Trump is the exception to the presidency in so many ways. It will be, and he, he obviously for his psychological issues can't accept defeat. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting. That he's, he's, he can only win on his terms and then if he doesn't win by everybody else's terms he just rewrites the narrative and that's a whole series of different things going on at all the different times so uh, yeah I, I think this was good because you got the opportunity to kind of compare and contrast the cool fish like Kennedy who was very very focused but you know if you look at Kennedy for instance Kennedy had had enormous um, physical trauma during his life he'd, he'd I think he would He'd had he'd been given the last rites five times in total, um, and obviously the last time was was real. But the point is his health conditions right the way through from his teenagers. But he used that instead of wallowing and and defeatism. He actually it made him stronger. Um, hmm. I think his his brother Bobby Kennedy used to quote the I think it's I 
think it's Aeschylus, that that does not kill you makes you stronger. Yeah. Of course, was wonderfully um, taken forward by Kelly Clarkson in one of her songs. Um, and, um, it was, uh, it's, it's obviously not always true or not true most of the time for people. Things can absolutely clobber you and you don't recover from them. But there is that you go through the fire. And if you come through the fire, you can if you can frame it right it's a you're able to move forward and and be better in some ways yeah absolutely well you my, my form scores moved from a, a seven to an eight just just from talking to you and thinking about this so my, my score at the moment is driven by this this ongoing health challenge of, of long covid as you know and i always tend to moan about this at the start of uh, these these live shows and give people an update but generally i've been on really good form and exercising again interspersed with like these killer headaches or nausea and I, I on, on on Sunday I was kind of I couldn't walk straight in a straight line I was like a drunk man with this sort of you know labyrinth infection thing going on um but you know, today seven gone up to an eight out of ten um what is your score Mark what is your form today I think actually because I'm doing this I was in a bit of a panic I go I was telling you just before about half eight it came on my phone that you'd come live and I'm thinking shit I'm meant to be there. I thought it was. I thought it was nine o'clock. Bloody hell! So I think I probably plummeted to about a four at that point. But mostly, actually, I'd say I'm I'm on a, a, an eight, seven, eight at the moment. I Good. think um, it's a pressured time of year as a college principal. This is the end of the academic year. Um, this has been an academic year like no other. Of course, last year the the, the final term was chaos after Easter, and we moved a lot online. But this year has been. That was a sprint. I mean, I hate the, the, the metaphors, but that, that, that really was uh, all hands on deck. We reinvented the colleges o over Easter to go online. Um, but this year has been a real classic marathon. It's been such a, a slog. And uh, I'm enormously proud of what my colleagues have done. They, they have seriously done some amazing things. We have literally taken thousands. We had nothing online. We had a bit of support stuff online. And now we have thousands of courses online being broadcast every day yeah um but that's an enormous amount of heavy lifting yeah. so there's that pride this bit is you are feeling a little bit on one hand like you're staggering to the finishing line but like last night i was writing some documents for our governors and uh, you kind of take a step back i tend to be somebody who just carries on going forward yeah and I'm not, i am reflective in one way but in other ways i kind of you don't i don't go oh didn't we do well very often I'd, I'd do it around other people but it was funny writing writing this kind of summary of the last term you go oh my god yeah we did that we did that and oh yeah so there's there's that sense of kind of you know would would we have predicted we were the biggest online college in britain 15 months ago i'd have, I'd have laughed at you i'm a, <laughs> I mean, would you have believed that i would actually sit here and teach online i, I pay people would have laughed at me that was the fact that i could, couldn't know the difference between a mouse and a dongle or whatever <laughs> i think it was um it's those things that uh, adversity has had a horrific toll on quite a lot of people but it's also it's 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 made us challenge our assumptions and think of how we can do things differently. And that can often be positive. It's just that, as I said, it's that pacing yourself yeah. around the marathon piece. I think that's really important. And I talk about this a lot that we did need to sprint to adapt, but a lot of us and a lot of workplaces and a lot of people have continued sprinting through this marathon that we find ourselves in. And I think the key bit is, can you <clears throat> sort of pivot from the, the sprinting to the pace of a marathon and making sure that we see it like that and get recovery, build resilience, prioritize well-being, all of that good stuff, right? Yeah, and I think that's that's the bit. And I think there's a number of things that you just said that are really important, which is kind of how do you build in recovery? Um, and that is also just how you have to reimagine things that you weren't doing before. So I like international travel. That's one of my things. And so, you know, I'm not a person who sits on a beach, but we'll go places, we'll do stuff. And, and using a different, you know, a different part of your brain, looking at different things, hearing different languages, that that stimulates me. So what normal people would say, oh, my God, you, you did that. You went to Peru, you did this. And I'll go, yeah. And I came back kind of physically tired. But I was absolutely emotionally recharged. Um, I haven't had that kind of stimulus in the last year. So you kind of you've got to try and work out 
what what does it differently um and you know obviously during first lockdown a lot of us were kind of walking the dog a lot uh, it was hilarious my my partner and my daughter and i were all in the house and we have um at that point we now got two dogs we have just the, the one dog at that point and um he was the most walked dog on earth because he was our alibi you were allowed <laughs> to walk the dog for an hour <laughs> and for, for a dog that i think in generally in life was going i don't you don't really take enough notice of me and you don't take me out enough literally he was like oh for god's sake can i just have a lie down and leave me alone and have a nap um so there's things like that the dog walking became hugely important um but actually now i am trying to work out this summer how do, how do you take a proper break um and you know the 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 the, the whole thing about amber countries etc etc adds yet again another layer of you know, uncertainty, and am I going to make a plan and be dis dis disappointed? Those are things that we're all we're all grappling with. I think yeah. one observation um, generally is is the amount your brain is having to work on everything. I often feel I have I have an Apple Mac, and you know that for those with Apples, you know that little circle with the um, colors that go round and yeah. round when you're stuck and you've got too many windows open. And um, I often feel that that is going on in the back of my head and everybody else. I've got too many windows open. Yeah. Like yesterday, I was in at the college. It was great. But you've got to think, have I got my laptop to go with me? Have I got my mask? What time am I going in? All of those things you have to start working out. Yeah. Um, so that's a whole lot of stuff that you didn't. I used, I now take about half an hour. If I'm going in, it takes me about half an hour longer. <laughs> yeah. Because you've just literally got all of those things to get, kind of think about. I think all of us have those two, from a mental health perspective, I think all of us have those window, extra windows open at the moment. And yeah. acknowledging that is really important because you'll get to eight, nine o'clock at night and go, oh, bloody hell, I'm exhausted. But I didn't really do much. And then you realise there's just lots of stuff draining your power behind yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know where none of my bank cards or credit cards are. I can't find them. They're somewhere in my house, but I have absolutely no idea because you're just out of that routine of carrying your wallet around and doing normal things, right? Um, we're seeing some good form scores. People, um, you know, kindly sharing on the on the chat. So Nicole's an eight out of ten. Hurrah's an eight. Sarah's a nine, and your colleague Amber's an eight out of ten. And enjoying the weather. So um, great to see uh, those those positive scores there. So Mark, we're going to do a quick fire round um, and it's uh, nothing you can prepare for. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions. If mental health were a something, what would it be? So, you know, just whatever comes to mind um, and then we'll explore why, why that comes to mind. So if mental health were an animal, what would it be, Mark? Chameleon. Good, good answer. Why? Because it does vary. And funny enough, I think the reason I've done it is because your, your, your backdrop is changing in <laughs> colour, depending on... But I think it is. It's, it's not one thing at any particular... Well, it is for some people. It can yeah. be a very dark thing or a very happy thing. But for most of us, it does vary. And yeah. we have to adapt to our circumstances. Um, so, yeah, I'll stick with chameleon. Yeah, and I, and I think I've explored this one before a little bit as well, because the chameleon will often blend into its background and you won't actually know it's there, um, which can be very true for somebody's mental health because we're, we're not that open about it and the, the, you know, the stigma is there. So if mental health were a colour, Mark, what colour comes to mind for you? Blue, because Why I'm blue? colour. So at the moment yeah. I'm feeling very up. I love blue um, and it's... It tends to be a positive um, thing. You just mentioned, Amber mentioned the weather, um, looking out the window, blue sky. Um, I've noticed, and actually the amount of people have commented in the last two weeks, the, the change in weather can have a massive effect on people disproportionately compared with normal. Yeah. I think we rely on the outside much more than we did because yeah. of so many other things. So yesterday, great weather, et cetera, et cetera. Everybody seems to be that much more bouncy. Yeah. Um, those days last week where I think what Friday of just where it was relentless. It was, you know, I'd, I went without a jacket, I got soaked and then was freezing and it yeah. just got me in a funk <laughs> for the rest of the day. Yes. So 
I think that's yeah. I, I think for me, the, the yeah. blue is weather. Happy days. Yeah, and, and we've got blues for you know the top end of the form score scale, um, as you can see there. Yeah, blue sky, and it's it's beautiful. Um, so I'm with you on that. And um, interestingly, with the form score data, we're seeing weather get tagged as as a uh, big influence on our on our form scores as well. So that's the data is definitely backing up that that thought. Um, so if mental health were a food, Mark, what, what sort of food would it be? Oh, good question. Um, a stew. Yeah. Um, something warming. Um, when it goes right, it's that kind of comfort level. Yeah. So it's that kind of. I'm North of England boy originally, and um, I don't think I've. Ever, I don't think I've made a, a, a stew like my grandmother or my mother would have made for years. But it's that kind of. Yeah, cold winter night. It's something there to kind of revive. Yeah resuscitate you give you something there yeah revive resuscitate I, I like the idea with different elements making up the combined flavor as well with the stew you know all in the pot there very good so if mental health were a song or a piece of music what would it be for you um right because when it was funny because when you said i've got a song for you i was like oh my god it's going to be d-i-s-c-o by atal or something like that um it's like all right okay where are we going with this one um I did, when I did, so when I was at university, I ran for um, a, a sabbatical and failed spectacularly. Um, actually, was beaten by well, I wasn't beat. The, the person who came, I came third out of three. Um, the guy who won was a Labour Party support. I had the support of the Labour Party. I ran independent, but the guy who came second is now the Scottish Education Secretary. So I feel as if I was beaten with honour. But <laughs> you were told on the night of the hustings, on the last hustings, it was if if you won. Um, you had to have a song ready in the background. And um, this, uh, I think this says a lot about me in many ways. It's um, I'm so excited by the Pointer Sisters. Brilliant. Um, because it's just, I'm slightly hyperactive. I get very excitable. Um, it's a very upbeat song. And um, it was out at that point. It was, it was I think, what, 1984 or whatever. Um, and it's always been, always brings a big grin to my face when it randomly pops up on my iTunes. Yeah, um, it'll just be like, all right, yeah, that, that's, and it, it's, it's funny because it was, I didn't win. In fact, I lost quite badly. But at that point, it's still, it's still got a, it gives me a cheeky grin. Well, it's giving me a cheeky grin now. So, um, yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. Love that. In fact, we, we opened this series of, uh, of interviews and, and conversations with that track, actually. So um, um, we're on uh, we're on number 19 now. We've got number 20 next week. And then my plan is to mix them together um, and, and release a mix of all these 80s and, and a couple of 70s tracks. So uh, that, that will be on there for sure. Um, cool. This is great. So um, next one. And I think this will be a tough one for you. If uh, mental health were a holiday destination, where would it be? Oh, um, uh, Provincetown in Cape Cod. Oh, easy uh, one. Straight there. Straight absolutely. in with it. So, so I, I love variety of holidays. I like going to different places and stuff like that. But when I lived in um, New York, um, some of my friends talked about this place at the end of Cape Cod um, called Provincetown. And um, I went there and it, it, I, I found the place in the world that I just... Um, I, I can, you can get there by car, you can get there by boat from Boston, or you get these little eight, nine-seater planes that go over. And um, Provincetown has got a big tower. It's a small town that massively expands during the holiday season. Um, and it has got a, um, a, a big tower in the middle of it. It's a um, Pilgrim Fathers type thing. And uh, when I see it, there's something magical about I'm home. Um, yeah. I've always talked about half my ashes kind of being scattered there. Um, and so it's um, it's just beautiful. It's, it's, it's naturally incredibly beautiful, but also it's a great fun town. Um, it's where people go whale watching from, from Boston. So there's lots of nature. And then it's got a very diverse, huge artist colony, very big gay community. So the diversity there, the fun there. So it's a, it's, it's a bit of everything. Yeah. And it is, um, there was one point when we thought, on lockdown was going to sort of take place earlier and stuff like that. And we were talking, my, my partner and I were talking about going over to the States to see his family. Um, and our pre quo quo is we, I get a week in Provincetown to prepare. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's a disappointment for me. That will be my, 
that's my really happy safe on loads of different elements but it's the the best of me uh, absolutely love it i want to go there it sounds amazing um so final question and i'm going to try and put all of this together to a scene um if mental health were a sound what sound comes to mind for you mark oh great that's that's um so one of those um metronomes those things in the background yeah those backward yep. forwards clicking regular that's that's the the it's the thing that just goes on in the back as i said in the background most of us don't think about on a regular basis yeah um but it clicks and obviously the analogy breaks down because it's not a regular backwards and forwards it speeds up and it slows down but it is something there that is always in the background keeping yeah. heat and so yeah, I, I, that's a really good one. We've never had that one before. I like it. You know, that beat in the background, you don't always notice it. Sometimes it's annoying. It's sometimes it's changing, um, but it's keeping the rhythm uh, of things around it. I like it. So let me string all of this together. Um, so we're in Provincetown. Uh, we're sitting, uh, you know, we're sitting outside. Um, we can hear this, this, the sound of the metronome and it's basically counting in. Um, a, a pianist who is going to play I'm so excited by the Pointer Sisters. Um, we're waiting for our amazing local stew uh, to be served. There's a blue sky around us and, and we can see the blue ocean in, in, in the background. Um, and if we look carefully, we have to look very carefully because you can hardly see it. There's a chameleon just against the wall there um, going about its business. And we're together there and we're just enjoying the scene. That's, uh, that's my, my image from uh, your quickfire round of, of, of the mental health. That's quite nice. Actually, yeah. isn't it? It is, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, we should we should do that. No, I mean, I don't, I don't... I'm very I'm very impressed that you were able to remember all the different elements of it, and actually, <laughs> if we do that in a story. That's I don't I'd have been able to do that. Cool. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a good it's a good scene. I think we can make most of that happen. Maybe not the chameleon, but who knows? Um, so. Um, we're, we're kind of halfway through and we've uh, just been gibbering on about fun stuff, which is great, but let's talk a bit about you. And so tell us, first of all, Mark, for those that don't know, a little bit about the City Lit and, and your role as CEO and, and principal of the college there. Yeah, so City Lit's the Europe's biggest education college, as I kind of said earlier. Um, we're famous, we're 102 years old. We celebrated our centenary just as pandemic was kind of about to start. Um, 5,000 courses, every form of adult education. Our younger students are 19, our older students are in their 90s. We have you know, 30 plus thousand people who came to us on a daily basis, open every day of the week, 46 weeks a year till 10 o'clock at night. So really trying to adapt predominantly around Londoners busy lives. So if you want to do a language class after work, or if you want to do um, sculpture during the daytime or at the weekend, take a break and um, learn British Sign Language. Those are the types of things you can do. Um, so I've been there exactly 10 years. I just celebrated my decade there. Um, I kind of came from different other ed elements of education. I was at London Business School and then uh, ran DFT's um, business um, finance education training business before that. Um, the college is truly amazing. We have a thousand um, tutors who are specialists in everything you honestly i think you would have to be clinically dead not to look at our website and find something that you'd go oh i fancy that yeah. um so from that point of view it's expertise it's treating adults as adults it's not most of us even if we had a good as in successful school career it, the learning was very much top down um, and even university, although I think that's got better, is, is, is very much a master servant. We will tell you the things. You know, I, I often say you will learn as much from the people sitting next to you as the person in front of you because you share life experiences. So for us, it's, it's getting out to as many Londoners, part around learning, but actually it's also around well-being, mm -hmm. And that's really come to the fore during the pandemic. The amount of comments that I'm getting of, if it hadn't been for my class, dot, 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 fill in the gap, it doesn't matter what it was, I would not have got through this as well as I did do. Um, it's that sense of community, that sense of camaraderie mm -hmm. and adversity, um, 
and it's also keeping your brain going. Um, yeah, there's only so much sourdough bread you can make during the pandemic, um, uh, but doing something that felt like it was positive. So it was interesting, and it's so many different stories around mental health and well-being enduring the pandemic. It's the people who were highly vulnerable, who were trapped at home and couldn't go out and were very scared to go out. Yeah. And they were, they might've been in classes beforehand or they started joining City Lit, found, found their thing and their little tribe. And I'm a great believer in tribes and having your, your hinterland and you can be members of multiple tribes as you and I've kind of discussed and it, they serve different purposes. The nice thing is as well, you have a common interest, but you often have a huge diversity of the people in the room. Yeah. You're dealing with, you might be retired, but you've got a 22-year-old coding expert who works in the middle of the night and suddenly can do their, their course during daytime. And that bit means that you're, you're put in a space that you wouldn't usually be. You tend, yeah. to, go, you tend to gravitate around people who know you and, and have similar interests, backgrounds, experiences. So that's positive. But also, I think what we've seen is particularly a lot of people on furlough is... You know, we've all said we want all of that extra time and it would be great if we had time. But suddenly, particularly people who've been very busy, to go from being busy to being, right, okay, I've watched all the Netflix series, I've read the books that I said I'd get around to, and now what do I do? And that's been very important. The other bit is, is structure and regularity, is I know at this time on this day, I will have things. And so when, when, particularly during the lockdowns, you had people, everything blared into one. You didn't yeah. know the difference between it as a Saturday, is it a Monday? Is it, um, the thing that made me laugh, but scares me a little bit was there was, um, was one of those clever little clips that some, some boffin did, which was a, a bit of who wants to be a millionaire. And it was Chris Tarrant there going, okay, for the million pound question, we have a really difficult one. What day is it? Saturday, <laughs> Wednesday, Friday, or nineteen eighty-seven? <laughs> um, and the trouble is, is it? it really, I like all things that really make you laugh. It have really had an element of truth to it. Yeah. So I think I think there was the different elements actually helped different people. So as a college, we put a real emphasis on that. And But even before the pandemic, and that's why you and I got to know each other, was um, we run a thing called the Mental Wealth Festival every year. And um, that's bringing the idea, Baroness Hollins, who's our patron, who had the idea originally, um, sort of said, you know, mental health is, is, is often, and you've, you've talked about this so eloquently, uh, has got negative connotations. We, we tend to see it's a deficit model. It's, you have mental health problems, et cetera, et cetera. But mental health is a spectrum. You can have great mental health, you can have bad mental health, and you can journey between. And this is why form score, I think, is so such a good idea of knowing that there are daily changes, but there yep. are also periods of your life when you're generally down a couple of points compared yep. to the better periods. Um, and so she sort of said, well, can we reframe it by using the word wealth? Because you can be poor or you can be rich and you can be poor and rich at various points. So we did the festival. And I think that we're now going to have our seventh one this year. Um, the first one was a classic throw a bit of spaghetti at the wall and see if it sticks kind of moment. Um, we put on 30 quite random courses, Tai Chi, mindfulness and drawing, et cetera, et cetera, and then had a few guest speakers. I pulled in a few um, random friends, as we all do on these things. And, and it, we did it the week before the college starts in September. We usually start in the third week of September. So the week before, we just said, right, we'll devote the college for two days to doing this a bit of a see if it works. Anyway, the buzz was amazing. And a lot of people who usually wouldn't come to the college came. And also a lot of people who'd come for other reasons were in to enroll for their class and going, what's going on here? And then yeah. get involved. So we made it annual. And what's been great at that point, we kind of decided to make quite, and you, you mentioned my colleague Amber's on, online and um, she's amazing because she runs the festival almost single-handedly. But we have a parliamentary event. We partner, partner with the British Museum, with the Corporation of London, with the National Gallery. Um, all of those 
venues we have special events on. So, yeah, um, we had Grace and Perry one year talking about mental health and art at the National Gallery. Ed Balls and I did an hour together on um, uh, the dyslexic principal and the stammering politician. So he's yeah. famously one of our students. We've got a very, very specialist area around adult stammering and speech therapy. Yeah. And Ed was a student of ours when he was a cabinet minister. Right. And he'd come in for one-to-one -one classes and he's been a huge advocate of the college but we were talking about normally he will talk about his stammer but we were talking specifically about you know trying to cover you know to, to adapt and cover for weaknesses and the effects that that has on your mental health and he was brilliant and we've had you know each year ruby wax people like that just come to the festival they'll do some of the big headline act things and then there the will be the, the lying on your back quietly, listening to music, um, looking at art being projected kind of courses that will be much more, oh, what do I take away from that? Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. So much in there. I mean, first of all, the Mental Wealth Festival, and I'm keen to explore this in a little bit more detail. But what, what I love about it is, you know, you guys have decided to do something that is there to influence beyond your walls on the topic of, of mental health. And um, it, it was great that you guys were uh, shortlisted of uh, the Inside Out Awards as, as, a, as a finalist for that work and um, keen to celebrate that when we get together and do some dancing um, in the next physical event. Um, but I, I love the fact that, you know, you didn't need to do that. Obviously, Baroness Hollins came up with the idea and then you implemented it. Why, why do you think it's so important to, to put that festival on? I think it's the bit that you can be very utilitarian around education. Mm. It's a thing, you learn a thing, et cetera. But I, I, I genuinely believe the role that city lit and, and colleges and academic institutions have around well-being has always been underestimated. Um, yeah. you, know, you look, there are other famous Japanese and um, Norwegian surveys about people living longer if they engage in adult education. Um, for all the, the more mature parts of retired parts of our community, um, again, sense of purpose, intergenerational mixing. So for me, it's always been there. I just think for my my hopefully part of my legacy at the college will be is you brought it to the forefront yeah. it's not something that is a an accidental byproduct that we just take for granted which i think is what most adult colleges do you put it very front and square and i have to say sadiq khan is is very supportive around the festival and i think he's done um he's done a great job during the pandemic of talking about his own mental health and well-being, and we're hoping he'll be part of the. He supports yeah. the festival every year, but hopefully he'll be part of it this coming year. Um, but I think it's it's that piece that you know, nothing nothing's really in isolation. Everything overlaps. Yeah, and the educational community. And I have to say, my co my colleagues in colleges and universities dealing with with young adults, the the eighteen to the twenty two year olds. They're really getting this and really championing mental health and well-being and in a way that when I was at university, that just didn't exist at all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, really, it's really important. But a, a credit to you guys for putting that on. Um, and, and we'll definitely put all the, uh, the, the relevant links in the notes to, uh, to, to point people towards the festival and looking forward to supporting you and being involved as well. Um, I think you've touched on some other really important points um around the work of the city lit and the positive impact that has on people's well-being and um i you, you interview some great people and i was uh, very grateful to uh, to attend your interview with narina hertz on the um around her book the lonely century and i think this this idea of the loss of community even before the pandemic and this idea of contactless society you know we get our yoga online we order our food online we don't necessarily even need to see a human to do both of them i think it's important we've got places to connect haven't we and we've got places that people can go to get that sense of belonging that sense of identity mixing with different people and I've spent some good times in, in, in just with you in the cafe and you just see those different groups who are connecting there in City Lit. It's amazing, isn't it? And we need we need places like that right now, don't we? I think so. And it's, it's Noreena's book, I think. If, if ever uh, an economist 
caught a zeitgeist. Norina caught one. She did the work for the two years prior to the pandemic and then kind of re-threaded it where, once the pandemic had started. So you talk about a book coming out at a time when it's relevant. The Lonely Century, A, she writes brilliantly. I've yeah. known Norina for a number of years and her books are always great and they're always really interesting. Um, but this one, talk about zeitgeist. I mean, she really has got a lot of things that made you think. And there was, you know, the sense of loneliness as individuals in big, particularly in big cities, but then the, the the piece that she has towards the end of the book about work, I thought was massively fascinating. And the, I've, I've interviewed her a couple of times now on different forums. The first one was more around the individual, the second one was around work. And um, the nature of work and, and how, re, even before the pandemic, remote working, the, the, the water cooler moments, all of those types of stuff, where we're losing something around connectivity. Yeah. And that's important for the individual um, and, and good employers should care about the individual. But I think the, 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 the really great importance is also to any organization, whether it be a company, whether it be a charity, a college, is if you are not supporting your staff with mental health and well-being, community, making sure that they're not lonely, if you're not doing all of that, then actually just from a bottom line shareholder perspective, you're also doing your organization a disservice because you're not maximizing the creativity. You're not having those, those brilliant bits of combustible insight. I talk about um, one of the things I miss in the college is, is all of us being around and getting together. And about three years ago, uh, you know, that's saying uh, I teach American politics. I was talking to the head of literature, Patricia, and she was teaching um, an American literature course on the same night I was doing politics. And we were chatting afterwards about how the classes has gone. And I was talking about McCarthyism. She said, oh yeah, because I put that into this course. And I said, well, imagine we did a program together and we did the politics, the literature. And then I shouted, this is the bit of the advantage of being the principal. You're able to shout and go, hey, Trish, come over here. So the head of music came over. And before the end of it, we came up with America. The first one was America in the 50s. Yeah. And I kick it off, and we've now done it multiple times, both online and in person. I kick it off with the politics of McCarthyism, Truman, Eisenhower, all of those different themes that were going on in the 50s. And then what I do is, is we, I hand it over. Patricia does the literature of the 50s. Ian does the art. And, and that, that would never happen if you didn't have those little moments. And I think every organisation will have lost that during the pandemic, yeah. uh, whether they're conscious of it or not. I think productivity has gone up during things. People are getting things done. I'm not getting disturbed. I'll just buckle down and get through my emails and whatever. I think that's but, a false stat though. Sorry to, to yes. interrupt you because I think people are more productive because they're working longer hours. Yeah. And they're not taking those breaks in the day to look after their well-being. And that's where we're getting to, to burnout. So yeah, we're getting more done, but we're not commuting and we're working longer hours. Doesn't make sense. Yeah, no, and I agree with you. Actually, I think, and, and I've been talking to a lot of friends, psychologists and stuff like that about the, 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 the challenges and the problems of coming out of this lockdown. This lockdown feels like it might be done this time, but it's been 15 months and I've got my habits and I know where my oyster card is and the world. I, I think the, you know those horror American horror film images of where people end up in old fun fairs and it's all quiet and then suddenly the lights start to go on and everything goes back to normal and they start to think. I think everybody thinks that the fun fair is about to start again and it'll be like that. But we're all different now. We've gone through something individually and collectively that's made it very, very different. Yeah. And if we're not careful, the boundaries piece, because, yeah, I've lost complete boundaries about working in the evening. Yeah. Because I'll be watching TV, I'll be doing my emails, I'll have Zoom calls during the day, and then I'll get catch up on the. But now I'm getting, you know, I've, I've been out that much in the evenings. But when I do, um, I feel resentful that I've, oh shit i've got to go and do my emails i've now got to recalibrate into the day yeah and then you know did it really matter that i was working at weekends um during the pandemic well i wasn't really going anywhere else but now i want to go for my swim and now i want to go and do other things it's it's all of that piece so you're yeah. right 
and we have to let go of that guilt because it's important and, and as you say that's how we become more productive um i can't believe it's 9 45 already so I, I i think you know we we needed a good 90 minutes to have this conversation mark so we, we we're going to take another few minutes um i'd just like to touch on um you know your story a little bit um and i know we're not going to do that justice in in, in a few minutes but um, I'd just like to recognise that you were one of the um, inaugural role models on the Inside Out leaderboard. Um, and so I want to thank you for, for participating there. And I remember when Jeff McDonald kindly introduced us and we, we shared our stories. But just talk us through in, if in the last few minutes why you're so passionate about mental health as well as that, that, that important literacy, actually, which is um, something we're trying to do with FormScore is bring literacy on, on and self-awareness on well-being. But from a personal perspective, why why are you so passionate, Mark? I think it's it's there's there's one element about doing the good for others. There's also the thing is is my your your own personal story, and I I, I still it's funny. I was thinking about this last night. I went to talk to Rob. It's great, etc. And about I, I'm I'm a northerner. I was a kind of I've lost a bit of the accents and stuff like that over the years. But fundamentally, you're brought up in a way that you don't talk about stuff um, and you get on with it. Um, so uh, t- coming up for 20 years ago now, um, it's the, the 20th anniversary now. I, I ran a business in New York, um, was based in the towers and um, there was the day and uh, we got everybody out. We got everybody out safe um, and it was a horrific day, but actually there was something contained about the day. You didn't think about stuff. You got on with stuff. You did stuff. You, I evacuated people out the building. I, I, you, know, you, you did what you had to do, um, but it was the, the huge slog, and it goes back to the sprint and marathon thing that we were talking about earlier. It was the weeks and months afterwards. So I had a, a business there that had been destroyed physically, literally, um, the classrooms, the offices, the all of that stuff, and I had 50-plus traumatized staff. We were very lucky. We were a, um, a division of Pearson, so Pearson supported us to rebuild. So that was good on one sense. We had the, the, the backdrop and the support there. However, we... Um, we had to get on with it. And um, I think yeah, it was relentless. And for me, because I was the boss, I, I tend to naturally take stuff on. And um, I just got on with it. And it wasn't, it didn't start creeping out until a few years later. And I used to have to travel a lot, fly a lot. And I started to get real massive anxiety on planes. Um, and every time he hit a little bit of turbulence and it, 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 it's, you know, a one form PTSD. And um, it then went from planes to cars. Um, so I'd be in cars and I would literally be a nervous wreck. And it was about control. It was about not being able to control your environment, et cetera. And um, it, it really got to the point where I probably was only safe in a boat. Um, and that really isn't very practical for most things. Um, so uh, I eventually went and got help and support around it. And it's not gone. Um, I still, trust me, I'm, you do not want to be sitting next to me on a plane when we go through turbulence. Um, but I'm not quite as bad getting on planes and stuff like that. Um, and so I'm very conscious that, that that period of my life was, and, and the danger is one of my mates, my best mate talked to me about this. And so I said, you've got to be careful because that's so out of the ordinary and so different that people can't relate to it. But, but it's not about the bigness of 9-11 but if that happens to me, my story, and that happens to be around my trauma. Yeah. Trauma can be a car crash. Trauma can be whatever it is, abusive relationship. What Whatever triggers those things can be a way. And I, I think for me, the, the ability to kind of create safe spaces is quite important. Mm-hmm. So I probably, yeah, Sheila Hollins was amazing and incredibly inspiring. And coming to me with a thing that I could take the ball and run with was exciting because then suddenly I could start to acknowledge my bit because up until that point, it had been very private. Um, it had been the thing my therapist, family and friends knew that, uh, yeah. But otherwise, I, I, I think 
you've talked a lot of people have talked alistair campbell came to the college and he was talking about mental health wards etc cetera, etc cetera, and the whole period about um you don't see get well soon cards and you don't see we don't talk about it as much and if we can do something about normalization this is what you do so brilliantly normalization about talking about things that's why it's important so yeah, sorry, it was quite a long rambling answer. No, 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 it wasn't. And and thank you for sharing it. And um, I think trauma is something we're going to be talking about quite a lot in, in the coming years, actually, trauma of what we've gone through in the last year, both the obvious trauma of those on the front lines, but the, the micro traumas that we'll have all experienced due to this enforced change and the loss of connection, the loss of loved ones. I think there's a lot going on that actually we shouldn't underestimate the recovery that's going to be required from that. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Thank you for all you do. Uh, Mark, it's been such a pleasure to chat to you. I've got one final question for you. We're collecting curating a bit like your library if you can imagine your library but this is a, a curation of golden nuggets for well-being the one top tip uh, that you would share with others of staying well um, what would yours be oh mine is is that connection between body and mind um for me i i love to swim i'm not very good at it i'm a bit like i used to get joked about my partner was a, like, was a bit like a 1950s film star with my head going like that so, <laughs> I've got things. but i i, I the, the, the happiest thing about coming out of this various stages of lockdown was the the fact that i could go swimming again so for me finding your thing it doesn't matter what your thing is a walk in the park with the dog etc but somewhere where you do something that you replenish. And I think that the connection between the physical well-being and mental well-being is, is so underestimated that yeah. if you are doing something, you have your cycling and, you know, there are, find that sweet spot for you that's, and it might not be physical, I mean, it might be doing pottery. So many of our art students talk about that. They're using a different part of their brain, the creativity, et cetera. So, that's for me it's my swimming and and four months without swimming no matter how much i was walking the dog in the park which i love doing it wasn't the same yeah. find find your thing find your thing that connects the mind and the body and the spirit as well absolutely brilliant and and we see that in the, da the data as well the top the top positive drivers of form exercise um weather and connection so doing things that, that do that particularly if you can do it with others as well uh, can be great so mark thank you so much this is the form guide inspiring conversations about mental health and well-being uh, our next guest uh, it's going to be a poignant one next week we've got steve phillip um, who founded something called the jordan legacy after tragically lost his son to suicide almost two years ago so steve is a, an anti-suicide campaigner looking forward to having a chat with him um, mark i really appreciate your time um, as ever great to chat to you thank you so much all right Rob, thank you very much for having me and everything you do. Cheers, buddy. Thank you.